right, everybody, welcome back to the Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Today is Wednesday, April 15th, 2020. I am your host, Detroit sports writer Nolan Bianchi. We hope you enjoyed part one of our interview with Keith Gave, the Russian Five Chronicles. Uh, left a little bit of a cliffhanger there at the end. So we've got the story of Keith Gabe giving Sergei Fedorov and Vladimir Konstantinov the letters to inform them that they've been drafted by the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, just the ensuing playoffs and, and cup runs that followed from there and just how the story all ties together. So we've got part two coming right now. We hope you guys enjoy. And as I arrived, the the Soviets were uh, getting off their bus and uh, into the arena. And I got into the arena and found somebody to, uh, who, one of the promoters of the event, uh, who um, I asked uh, if it was possible to get an interview with the, uh, with a couple of the Soviet players. And he, he looked pretty grim. He said, are you kidding me? These guys don't talk to anybody. You know, he said, I can ask, but there's no guarantee. And I said, well, you know, if you would, that'd be great. And, after the game, we went down, and I was against the wall across the hall from the from the uh, Soviet dressing room, and I noticed a guy about ten feet down the wave. There was a couple of people in between us, but he kept leaning forward and looking at me, and I'm just standing there, kind of nervous. Uh, and uh, eventually, this guy came out with uh, with both players. He got uh, uh, I had Sergey on my uh, right and Vladdy on my left. Uh, they both were wearing white towels around their waist. They had come right out of the shower. I mean, they kept, it looked like you, they ripped them right out of the shower. Their head was, hair was still wet and everything. I introduced myself. They're wondering, who the hell is this guy? What's he doing here? And uh, I explained to them that uh, I was a, you know, sports writer from Detroit, Michigan, where the Detroit Red Wings play. And it happened to be that the Detroit Red Wings uh, selected both of you guys in the uh, National Hockey League draft that took place a few weeks ago. And it was, I, I found out later that this was the first time either of them had heard that they'd been drafted by the Detroit Red Wings. Wow. I, I, I held, I had it. I had the sheet of uh, all the 12 names. It was a 12 round draft then of the all 12 rounds of the draft uh, for the Red Wings. And I said, Sergey, there you are. Number four, uh, num- fourth round. What was it? Seven, uh, 74th overall, I think. Um, there you are. And, and uh, I said, Vladdy, you know, and, and, and Sergey showed no emotion at all. I mean, none. It like he'd be a good card player, a really good card player, because he, he just couldn't, couldn't, couldn't tell what he was thinking. And then I showed Vladdy. I said, Vladimir, here you are, you know, in the, uh, in the 11th round, 220th overall, whatever it was. And, um, and Vladdy, Vladdy was dancing around like the kid who got the shiny blue bike for Christmas. I mean, really, <laughs> really, 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 really kind of cool. And, uh, and I, I gave them each, uh, you know, little lapel pins, Russians love their pins. And I gave them pins and business cards. And, uh, uh, then, then I got, uh, I, I had the letters that I'd written to them tucked in the media guides. I got them each a media guide, a little five by eight inch book, about a half inch thick. And I stuffed the letters I'd written, but they weren't very well concealed. Uh, and it was kind of a, I didn't think it through well enough, but I, 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 uh, I gave him each their, a book and, uh, you know, I, I said, look, clearly you guys are, are not ready to do a formal interview right now. You're, they, they have goosebumps. You know, there's still water running down their backs and so on. There's a sheet of ice about eight feet behind us. And 
uh, I said, I, I said, how about I will give you a call. I'll track you down. I'll give you a call and we can do a more formal interview over the phone. I said, but just for now, it's important that you, uh, you have this information now that you, you're part of the Red Wings organization and maybe someday you'll come over and uh, play hockey in Detroit. And uh, I, at the, about that time, I see Sergey looking down. He, he, he puts a book down in front of him uh, and he starts thumbing through his book very, very uh, surreptitiously. And, uh, um, and he sees the note that I had tucked, the letter that I had tucked in there. And he very nonchalantly took the book and he put it behind his back. And I knew that was the time for me to get the hell out of there. And I basically held up my hand. And I said, uh, you know, goodbye. Thank you very much. Uh, good luck in the future. And uh, hopefully we'll meet again. And uh, I got the hell out of there. And I spent the next three hours walking around the city of Helsinki, looking over my shoulder to make sure I wasn't being followed by some KGB goon because he kept looking at us the whole time. Well, kind of I, scary. I'm sure even when you got back to uh, North America too, there was probably still a little bit of uh, paranoia there. And one thing I think is interesting about the fact that, you know, Fedorov and, and Vladdy were kind of uh, not a package deal necessarily, but the first two to come over is that, you know, mm-hmm. at least from a, from an outsider's perspective, from my perspective, it seems like they couldn't be two more different people. Uh, you know, Sergey's he, he's the young, good looking, flashy wheels and deals, uh, type of guy. And Vladdy, uh, you know, he's the, the Russian, the captain in the Russian army, just the mean looking SOB and the, uh, the, just the complete force out on the blue line. Were you surprised that they both ended up coming over? Um, yeah, absolutely. I was, um, well, first of all, the upshot is kind of the um, to bring this story home a little bit. Um, yeah. From my perspective, anyways, was uh, you know about eleven months later in July, nineteen ninety, during the Goodwill Games out in the Pacific Northwest, um, Sergey was there. I think mean, Vladdy was on that team too, by the way. But uh, you know, the Russians were the Soviets were there playing, and uh, um, out of the blue, I'm having um, having dinner at my home in Dearborn at the time. And, uh, I, I got a, I got a call and it was Jim lights again. I said, hey, uh, Keith is Jim lights. I said, Hey Jim, how you doing? He said, great. He said, I'm in Mr. Illich's airplane flying home from Portland, Oregon. Guess who's sitting next to me? And I said, I give up Jim. Who's sitting next to you? <laughs> and he said, Sergey Fedorov. I said, Oh, great. And I was, I was in the middle of dinner. I shoved my plate away. <coughs> Excuse me. I, um, shoved my plate away. I grabbed my notebook. And I started asking him questions, looking at my watch, because um, I'm worried about, you know, hit, trying to get a story in the first edition deadline. And, um, um, you know, about 10 minutes later, I hung up the phone and I, I dialed a free press city desk, not the sports desk. And, um, you know, a, a city editor answered the phone and he's here because everybody's on deadline in the newsroom. It's always, always kind of fun at that particular time. But. I said, hi, this is Keith Gabe. He said, what do you want? He said, uh, hockey doesn't start for another four months. I said, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But I said, what do you got on, uh, what do you got on going on page one tomorrow? And he said, why do you care? <clears throat> and I said, because whatever you have on, you know, uh, as your lead story on page one, I'm going to blow it out of the water. He said, what? <laughs> and I said, there's a Soviet hockey player on his, in, in Mike Illich's airplane right now, flying to Detroit to play hockey for the Red Wings. There's a long pause. 
And he said, and then he said, you got 35 minutes. I hung up the phone and grabbed my laptop and I started pounding on his story. 35 minutes later, I hit the button, sent it to the free press. And, um, the, uh, the next morning, uh, those were the days when the morning newspaper was delivered to your door seven days a week and sort of, sort of the glory days of the newspaper business. Um, I heard the newspaper make a little thunk on my front porch and I ran downstairs and I took it out of the plastic, open it up. And there's the story, my story, page one above the fold, Soviet defector on his way to Detroit to play hockey for the Red Wings. And that's how the Russian five got started. And that was something that like, I mean, you mentioned it was funny, like the, the city desk editor was wondering what could be so important. Yeah. Obviously that goes on the front page, but this, uh, as far as I know, had a much, a a massive, like nationwide, it was uh, was a nationwide global global story. story. It was a global story. We beat CNN. We beat everybody with that thing. And, uh, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, that, so I got the payoff. I made a deal with a source and I got the payoff. My readers of the free press were the first ones to know about that. So I felt like even though I was uh, unethically thin ice, I made a deal with a source. The deal paid off. We get the news first and I got the news first on every other, you know, Russian uh, development story. Uh, after that, I, I, two days later, I was sitting across from a from a table at the Oak Park Ice Arena interviewing Sergei Fedorov. And so what went, you know, but now to get back to what you talked about, the difference between Sergei and Vladdy, absolutely. Were they different people, players? Sure they were. Um, uh, uh, Sergei was the guy, the flashy guy with the flowing blonde hair and the white skates and women all around him and hot little tennis players and so on. And Vladdy was, um, was married with a child, the, the, not not just the captain of the Red Army team, but captain of the Soviet national team. He had succeeded Slava Batisov as the captain of the Soviet national team. He was also a held the rank of captain in the military, and he was on a the red in the Red Army. He had a twenty five year contract, and in order for him to come to Detroit, he had to get out of that contract. He had to get out of the army before he could even think of defecting because oh, the been, Soviet army defected. Which... The Soviet Red Army, yeah. If he if he had defected to Detroit to play hockey with the with the Red Wings while he still was uh, in the in active duty, he would have been um, uh, considered a criminal and not able to get a work visa to play in in Detroit. He had to get out of the army first. Was there he any did that? How? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Who? How did he do that? He uh, we faked a knee injury. Was that it? No, it. you got to read the book, man. You got to read the book. He faked cancer. Yeah, they, didn't you? They, the they, wings, they had to pay the, off doctors the, to get him here. The wings, the wings bribed a bunch of doctors to get to get him over over here. It's a fascinating story. I mean, the Vladimir story alone is is the worth the is a is a made for Hollywood story. Made for made for Hollywood. Uh, yeah, they they bribed they. Uh, uh, they bribed a set of doctors uh, to uh, basically uh, diagnose uh, Vladdy with a uh, inoperable sarcoma. It's kind of cancer that they couldn't um, they couldn't fix. You might as well let them out of the army. Maybe go to North America and get some treatment there. They're making better uh, uh, advances in their medicine there. They might be able to help them. And um, and uh, but the, the so it so it worked to some extent. But the 
general manager of the Red Army Club, Valerie Gushin, uh, didn't believe it, and he wanted a second opinion. So he he uh, uh, sent Vladi to the Red Army Hospital, the military hospital, uh, to uh, be diagnosed by a, a new set of doctors. And the, the operative, the guy who's bribing, who's spreading around the Red Wings money uh, to bribe these doctors, went back to Lights and basically said, I'm going to need a little bit more money. And Light said, how much do you need? He said, another $30,000. Light said, you got it. I'll have it for you tomorrow. He said, but there's one more thing. Light said, what's that? He said, one of the doctors wants a car. He wants the biggest American car that we make in America. Light said, you're kidding. The guy said, nope. So Lights went out the next day, and he bought a big old Chevrolet Caprice great big boat of a car, the biggest car that the, Ameri- the American auto industry made at the time. And they sent it over to the Soviet Union, to Russia. And, um, and they spread more money around. And sure enough, this, the military uh, doctors came up with the same diagnosis that Vladdy uh, was dying of cancer. It'll, you know, and they, they released him from the army. They, they, they signed his papers, got him out of the army. Um, and uh, now, now he was able to, defect without being labeled a criminal criminal so um you know there, there's there's still a lot more to the story i could talk all night uh but there's there's way more compelling details but he finally finally made it over um to um to detroit to play hockey and um in terms of uh sergey and vladdy being very different people they absolutely were uh, but boy they were both world-class tremendous players vladdy um, you know, was was uh, the heaviest hitter, I, pound for pound, that I've ever seen in the National Hockey League. And uh, you know, guys hated to play against him because uh, he was he was as mean and vicious as Gordy Howe was in a corner, maybe even dirtier because he'd use his stick too. Um, and guys hated to play play for him, um, but 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 his teammates adored him, obviously. Um, Vladdy was just a, a man among men. He was, he's the guy, he's the guy, he's the guy that I want with me in the foxhole when the bullets are flying. And, and that room was full of them then at the, at, at the time that, you know, 97, 98, uh, Red Wings team, and a bunch of, you know, unbelievably, you know, great guys, great men, good players. But Vladdy was the guy we'd all want with us in the foxhole when the bullets are flying. Now, great, just a great, great guy. Now, was there more danger in trying to get a guy like Kozlov once those two guys came over, knowing what they're probably, like, there's a probably, no. be, be a good amount it, it of was, suspicion. It was, it, it, no, it was, um, but it was, um, it, it, the, it was, they were loosening up. It was loosening up. You, you got to remember there's a tremendous transformation going on with the crumbling of the Soviet Union, with the Soviet Russia, um, you know, East Germany became swallowed up by Germany. The, uni- the unified that nation, you know, Poland, Romania, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, uh, the Ukraine, all these countries were now that had been part of the Soviet Union satellites, countries of the Soviet Union were now independent. I mean, it was changing rapidly. So much was changing in the, uh, in the Soviet Union becoming the Russian Federation that they couldn't keep track. <laughs> they couldn't keep track of their nukes. They're nuclear warheads. There were, you know, the world was worried about loose nukes then, let alone 
hockey players or gymnasts or, you know, figure skaters. So uh, they had more, they had more things on their mind. Now, you know, Kozlov was really, really, really good as a, a young hockey player. Uh, Jim Debolano first saw him skate as a 15 year old in Lake Placid on the same sheet of ice where the miracle on ice game occurred. And he, he remembers seeing Kozlov the first time and he was so overwhelmed by what he saw he called Mike and Marion Illich and said, Mike and Marion, I've just seen the best 15-year-old hockey player I've ever seen in my lifetime. And, I've, and I saw Wayne Gretzky play at age 15. <laughs> That's how good Kozlov was. The problem with Kozlov, you may remember, is that the Wings drafted him. They're really uh, you know, excited about getting him. They're, the Russians now wanted to keep him, so they're paying him pr- pretty decent money to keep him because he's their star. And he got in an auto accident. He was nearly killed in an auto wreck. He was driving, you know, trying to they late whatever driving uh, um, on, on the way to practice one morning and uh, crashed into a bus. And um, uh, Kozlov's teammate riding next to him was killed. Kozlov went flying through the windshield and uh, wound up nearly dead himself. Um, and uh, it was then, you know, he's in the hospital. The Soviets, uh, the Russians stopped paying him because he was worthless as a hockey player now to them. And um, uh, the wings went on, Nick Polano for the wings, the assistant general manager who helped uh, lights with the other, the previous defections. Um, he went over there and, and basically took uh, kind of, took over, took care of uh, 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 Kozlov, tried to look after him and essentially do everything he could to uh, get him out of the hospital and bring him to North America for uh, for treatment. It, it, it was doubtful that he was ever going to play hockey again. They were worried about his vision, his eyesight, and all kinds of things. And uh, in, this, in the Soviets, who had stopped paying him, they wanted him back after they figured that he, he, he was going to survive and be okay. Uh, but now he was in Detroit. And uh, he had to go to federal court in Detroit, U.S. District Court in Detroit, uh, and get a uh, essentially have a trial uh, to get out of the contract that he had with the uh, Russians, so he could play in Detroit. So it was it was not he didn't have to defect, but they weren't letting him go very easily either. But they ultimately. Um, he, he, his defense was that he signed the contract under duress. And by the way, they stopped paying me. Um, so they broke the contract. I want to play in Detroit. And uh, that, that, that's how it ended up. Uh, so I, I, I'll be honest. I haven't read the, the Russian Five uh, book yet. That's definitely going Shame to be on next you. on my list while we're in this uh, <laughs> quarantine. I have seen the documentary. Where can people buy the Russian Five, by the way, while, we, while we're on the, the topic? The, I assume the book, Amazon. anywhere. You know, and, and, and Amazon.com, anywhere they can buy books, they can, uh, they can get the Russian Five. And same way with the, uh, uh, with the DVD is out there on, you know, at Amazon, lots of other places. And it's, uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Is it? Amazon Prime on TV as well. Yes, it is. Yeah, yep. Prime Video. Yeah, you you can see a lot of different places. Um, what was so, but what the, was the? Uh, go ahead. I was just gonna say what what was the reception like when they came over here? You know, both in the fan base and the locker room, and and kind of what was the point that they were able to to find their place and be able to finally call this place home? I'm sure this was an extremely uncomfortable life change for all of them. 
Well, it was, it was, uh, I don't know if uncomfortable is the right word. It was certainly a dramatic change. It was an overwhelming change to, uh, have all the kinds of freedoms that they'd never experienced before. Um, you know, that, that took some getting used to in the dressing room, you know, hockey's hockey. Uh, but I can't say they got the warmest reception from every player. Uh, the North American players, especially the Canadian players didn't like the fact that the wings were drafting so many Europeans, not just Russians, but Swedes, Czechs, Finns, and so on. Um, but, it, you know, they, they, they were starting to collect a lot of Russian players, and, they, and there was one player who actually kind of stood up uh, to Jimmy D and said, Jimmy, what are you doing drafting all these Europeans? You know, they're soft. All these Russians, we're never going to win with all these players, with these, all these Europeans, because they're soft. They don't play our game. And they're taking our jobs. That's what they're <laughs> pissed off about mostly. They're, they're taking our jobs. We're Canadians. We worked our whole life for this. And now you're drafting all these Europeans come take our jobs. Yep, that's exactly what happened. And yep, they took some jobs. And yep, they became a lot better hockey team, didn't they? Absolutely. And, uh, and, and I think one other thing they did, probably did was help take the heat off Steve Eiserman a little bit. Uh, well, they did. And, and I mean, like, no you just look at where that. the criticism went. It does, how does his story change if maybe there isn't the Russian five for Don Cherry to go on a rant about or for, you know, the yeah, Detroit media yeah. to – uh, you know, whatever well, we got to remember, they they started drafting these guys in '89. It was eight more years, '97, before they won a Stanley Cup, yeah. and they had some tremendous disappointments. You know, the first round losses to Toronto and and uh, and and San Jose, an eighth seeded team in '94, was it? Yeah, and then '95, they make the finals. They 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 they. Uh, they, they go 12 and two in the first three rounds of the, of, of the playoffs. And everybody's thinking, you know, no, we're going to play New Jersey. It's going to be a sweep. We're going to win the Stanley cup. And, and, uh, and it was a sweep, uh, but the wrong way. And they lost that Stanley cup in 95, 96 comes, they win what 61, 62 games, something like that. 131 points uh, set records. And uh, it beat in the Western conference finals by a very, very good Colorado team. Uh, that ended horribly with Chris Draper getting shoved into the boards by Claude Lemieux. Um, you know, and then we had, then we had the whole 96, 97 season. They added Brendan Shanahan on opening night at uh, the, before the home opener made that big trade and got Shanahan. And that was really kind of the final piece to that puzzle. Um, they had the brawl game on March 26th uh, next year to settle a few scores with the avalanche. Uh, which set the stage for them to finally uh, get past Colorado in the playoffs and win a Stanley Cup for the first time in 42 years. One thing I think is interesting is uh, there's a quote in that document from Brendan Shanahan when they go into that 97 Cup final against the Flyers, the Legion of Doom, Eric Lindros, all those nasty Mm -hmm. uh, SOBs, we'll call them. Uh, And and he said, we hit meaner and harder. And that was the kind of the crux of the series. But why do you think that people doubted that heading into the series, despite what had happened with them and Colorado earlier in the year? And the Red Wings had kind of already shown that they could throw their weight around and, and just be nasty. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened was that nobody was taking anything for granted anymore. I mean, after 95, 
when they had that that really good run. I mean, they looked dominant. They were dominant for three rounds. They were twelve wins and two losses for their first three rounds, and and then they you know they got to New Jersey and a pretty damn good New Jersey team too, uh, and uh, and they wound up getting swept. You know, and Scotty Bowman knew then that he had more work to do. He had to add more people, and that's when you know he had the the three young Russians. He had that just before uh, that spring. He added Savvatisov from New Jersey, the team they wound up getting swept by. Um, and in, in the fall, he made the trade for Ray Shepard uh, to San Jose for Igor Larionov. He had all five of them. Now that's when the magic started to happen. Um, but uh, it, when they hit Philadelphia in '97, because of what happened, all those previous disappointments in the playoffs. It, you, it, people were walking on eggshells. I mean, they did play those first two games in in, in Philadelphia. Um, really set the tone. Uh, like 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 um, uh, Shanahan said, they, they 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 were faster. They were heavier. They hit harder. They played with the they 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 played the game with a, a determination that they were just discovering that they had, and um, they won those first two games. And you know, came to Detroit. And it was that game three in uh, Detroit, that center ice hit by Vladimir Konstantinov on a Hall of Fame guy, Dale Howarchuk, at center ice, put Howarchuk down, and uh, there there was absolutely no answer for Vladimir Konstantinov in that series. Not the Legion of Doom, not big, bad Eric Lindros, nobody. They had no answer for Vladimir Konstantinov. Dale Howarchuk never played another minute of hockey, retired, went to the Hall of Fame, deserved to be there, but the the Philadelphia Flyers were no just no match for the Detroit Red Wings that year. No match at all. I just think... I get uh, chills thinking about it. Right. Oh, same, same. And, and, and it's because of the narrative arc, right? Like the, yeah. uh, the, the origin stories of so many guys are so crazy. And then there's all the, yep. the conflict and the obstacles that can't be overcome. And then the triumph. And then even the devastation with Vladdy. You talked to, you know, we could talk for hours just about Vladdy. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it was just, to me, I, I don't know if there's a, a greater story in, in all of sports in, in terms of a long-term planned out, team effort that had its rise and, and its falls the way that this team did. That was pretty cool. It was, it was really, really cool. And you're right. The, uh, the narrative arc from, from beginning to, to end. And, you know, we thought that was kind of the, the, the end, the bright shining moment uh, when they finally win the Stanley cup, uh, 42 years, all that pent up frustration is going to be a hell of a summer of celebration in Detroit, right? Lasted six days. And then we, then we had the uh, limo accident and the party ended right then. Then the whole new story started, but uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I will tell you one thing uh, during the uh, locker room celebration when everybody, I mean, very crowded locker room, I'm trying to get some work done. And I realized that I can't take any notes because every note that I put on my uh, reporter's notebook was uh, getting uh, stained with uh, champagne and beer and everything. I couldn't read them anyways. So I put the notebook away and I just kind of walked around the room and shook hands and told everybody congratulations. And, you know, I got to the corner um, the corner of the uh, dressing room there where, um, uh, uh, Sergei was, of course he was surrounded by beautiful women. Um, I think yeah, one of them was Anna Kornikova 
And uh, anyways, I, I, I said, Sergei Maladietz, uh, you know, it's kind of being attaboy in Russian. You know, I said, congratulations. And, and uh, I said, well done. Finally, way to go. And and, uh, and he said, thank you. And then I'm, I'm turning to leave. And he said, Keith. And he said, boy, he kind of leaned over. He's very quiet. And he said, you remember that night in Helsinki a long time ago? He said, yes, <laughs> Sergei, I remember that. And he said, he said, I re-, he said, I remember too. He said, I never forget. I never forget. He said, but I never tell anybody. And I said, that's good, Sergey. Please don't tell anybody <laughs> ever about that. That, that made my night. I'll tell you that. Wow, Keith, as a uh, newspaper man myself, this whole uh, interview has had me uh, smiling from ear to ear. I think I uh, am not mincing any words when I say that you're an absolute gangster and we've enjoyed having you on for every minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I listen. I uh, I've appreciated the time. It was uh, I, I enjoyed talking about this, and we can do it anytime. Anytime I can help, give me a holler.